1: theater fans welcome back to another episode of what's up broadway i'm back with my fabulous co-host christian lewis how was your weekend
2: christian it was good i feel like i was recovering i saw like four shows last weekend i last week i think i saw lackawanna blues chicken and biscuit this is the room it was like a lot of a week and then Over the weekend, I had my first, like, we did a roundtable Zoom, the Did They Like It? critic cohort to talk Mm -hmm. about six, and that was really exciting. How about you?
1: Oh, my weekend was jam-packed. I saw a commercial jingle for Regina Comet, and... Uh, you know, beyond the show, the show is very interesting. It's um something like I've never seen before. A musical with just three people was very interesting to me. Um, but their pre-show playlist was like so good. And I tweeted about this specifically, that pre show playlist needs to be included in the playbill somewhere, or like with a QR code so I can immediately download it to like Apple Music or Spotify because that playlist is like so iconic. It was like all the 90s hits that I haven't heard in years. And I was just like, I need access to this. Um, and so I love that.
2: I think it, the show did do a like a Spotify pre show playlist. Am I making that up? Was that on Broadway? Was that like a fake friends thing during the pandemic? Someone definitely did that. And I loved the idea of like giving us access to that. Cause that's yeah. also like a piece of design, like a sound designer probably decided that.
1: Yeah. And you can absolutely like, that's such a great marketing tool, like to have a playlist specific pre-show playlist to like, as you're on your way to see the specific show, here's our playlist. And then when you get to the theater, you hear the music. It's like such a marketing, great marketing tool. And come on, like, give it to us. It's it's the best idea ever I think it's
2: especially cool with plays one sound designer that I worked with in college made all of the actors make a playlist for their character of like what songs fit their character and then they use part of that for the pre-show I just think it's a whole cool element of sound design that we don't talk about enough like I was thinking about this with the pre and post-show music it is just a room like oh what's behind Mm. this choice
1: Mm-hmm. is this a room is also also has a great pre-show playlist yes, okay include those in the playbills we'll be looking out for it let's get into some broadway breaking news mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a sound for What's what I'm about to say? The Broadway revival of David Mamet's American Buffalo starring Emmy and Tony winner Lawrence Fishburne, Oscar and Golden Globe winner Sam Rockwell and Emmy and Golden Globe winner Darren Chris will begin previews at Broadway Circle in the Square the week of March 22nd, 2022. The limited 16 week engagement was in rehearsal when Broadway was shattered or shuttered Due to COVID nineteen, I know you have thoughts on this, Christian.
2: Gosh, just like a big sigh. <laughs> I mean, like I am very much not a David Mamet fan, and I just like don't know why 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 we're doing this. I've never seen theater Twitter across the board, like stands, theater critics, professionals, everyone just be like, why? when this announcement came out, like there was no enthusiasm for this at all. And it was like, I guess the actors really want to do this. Cause I don't know who really wants to see this or who's excited about it. And lots of people came back with these shirts that were popular a while ago that said less Mammoth, more Vogel
1: mm. like for Paula
2: Vogel. And like, yeah, I don't really need another David Mammoth. Like let's get Adrian Kennedy to Broadway. Let's get other great playwrights to Broadway that are not overproduced and white men that I'm bored of. Uh,
1: and I'm, I also think it's very specific that they picked such popular actors to be in this show because nobody really wants Mamet, but it's like Lawrence Fishburne, Darren Chris. I mean, why not? You know, it's like the greatest actors in a show that nobody wants.
2: Sam Rockwell <laughs> wants the Tony, I guess? I don't know.
1: I don't know. It's so interesting. I don't know why this show's coming. Also, I don't think American Buffalo has Ever had a successful run on Broadway, so <laughs> we'll yeah, see. I don't,
2: I don't know why we need this. But think, speaking of things that we did need, but are now sadly gone, Passover just closed on Broadway this past Sunday. Such a short run, but such an important run. It really made history. It was such, 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 such a great way to open Broadway back up, and it did so so safely and never had uh, a COVID closure. It was historic in so many different ways, and I don't know, I know you worked on it. We're part of the reason that it got here, and I'm. So happy that we all had passover on broadway
1: mm-hmm. shout out to blythe who really made sure that theater specifically passover came back safely um you know she led the way and look at us look at us closing safely. um, And it it just shows that theater can run and be a safe environment. And I hope that people really look at Passover and look at the shows that are doing really well um, and continuing their run with like no COVID cases and how that's working out. So shout out to Blythe. We love her.
2: On another little piece of theater news, we got to see our first image of Beanie Feldstein in Funny Girl. And we got a little, very tiny little teaser clip that was like eight seconds of Don't Rain On My Parade music and her just stomping on heels on the stage and uh, looking at in the mirror. And like, I just screamed the whole time. She said, hello, gorgeous. And I just, I died. I'm so excited for this.
1: I think it was the hello, gorgeous for me. Uh, I mean, the walk, the strut, the sound of the heels really like you know, played on some of my emotions. But the moment she turned around and looked directly in the camera and said, hello, gorgeous, I was like, oh, yes, I'm ready.
2: I touch uh, my pearls every time I even think about remembering, hearing her look at me and say, hello, gorgeous. I can't. <laughs> I'm so ready, Ayana.
1: She's speaking directly to you, Christian. You know that, right? Directly to you.
2: <laughs> we're, we're ready. We will be we're seeing ready. the show together. We will be there. Oh,
1: Freaking absolutely same, same row, same, like right next to each other, gagging, gagging. On that note, let's get into some show opening and casting announcements. <music> Tina, the Tina Turner musical reopened on Friday, October 8th, and Adrian Warren in her Tony award-winning role as Tina Turner is playing for a few more weeks before she takes her final bout on October 31st.
2: I know that it's like an exhausting show, but I am so happy she's getting a little victory lap.
1: Mm -hmm. Also, I did a
2: really, really great interview of her if anybody wants to go read it.
1: Oh, I did. I did. Oh, she's fantastic to talk to, too. Like, from the moment she comes on the phone, it's like, it was a phone interview. um, And it's like, the glow, like, I can't even see her, but the glow was like, coming through the phone it was like the greatest conversation ever you know how when people like say they there's so many interviews of celebrities like who did you gag over when you spoke to them and it's always Beyonce I feel like Adrian Warren did that for me I was just like holy crap like speaking to her was just like this warm and fuzzy feeling I was just like oh my god lovely lovely person to speak to
2: yeah, I feel like for the theater world, Adrian Warren and Audra McDonald are our Beyonce. Oh, and even yeah, the yeah, idea yeah. of talking to them is so overwhelming. Like we're in the presence of royalty, goddess, golden halo. <laughs> you feel it. Absolutely. In uh, other exciting news, the national touring production of the Tony winning revival of Daniel Fish's Oklahoma will begin performances at the Orpheum Theater in Minneapolis, Minnesota on November 9th before heading out. It's going to do a 25 city tour across the whole country. The casting is really exciting, leading the company. We have Sasha Hutchings as Lori, Sean Grandillo as Curly, Chris Bano as Judd, Barbara Walsh as Aunt Eller, and I am so excited. Sis is taking on the role of Ado Annie. Yeah, I love sis. this production on Broadway so much. It's actually my favorite musical I've ever, production of a musical that I've ever seen. I loved that cast. I loved the types of diversity they had in that cast. Ali Stroker playing Ado Annie meant so much to me, and I and so, so into this casting for the tour. And I love that they're committing to diversity in new ways and new, really exciting ways. We have a black trans woman playing Ado Annie. Like this is it. I'm ready.
1: I'm snapping my fingers. Nobody can see me doing it, but I'm totally snapping my fingers. I am ready for sis to have her moment. I am like, oh, I, I got to find a ticket. I will travel specifically to see this show.
2: Oh, I Google maps every location to see which one is the oh. closest. I'm going okay. to Philly. So come with me to Philly. It's the closest I'm down. one.
1: I'm down. I'm down. Let's go. I will be up there rooting for everyone, but sis in particular, like it's her time. She has been, you know, I said this before boots to the ground activism. And now like she's getting the results that she wants. Um, And she's fighting the fight
2: for the whole community. And on top of that, she's also an incredibly talented performer. Incredible. So I'm glad that not only is her activism making changes, but she's also getting booked. Thank God.
1: We love it. Booked and busy. Sis, we will be cheering you on in Philly. You heard it here first. We are coming.
2: And I saw this great tweet that for as frustrated as we can get about certain casting announcements for Broadway, Cough Cough, American Buffalo... We also have several touring casts that are doing really exciting and more diverse things like the prom cast and the Oklahoma cast. So maybe Broadway certainly has some issues, but theater as a whole isn't necessarily completely broken. So that's nice to hear.
1: Yeah. Oh, my goodness that makes you know theater is changing and it's changing for the better and i always thought that broadway was like two steps behind of everyone else because off broadway is doing the thing um and touring is doing the thing broadway just has to catch up and now is the time to do so very excited
2: Broadway in so many ways is like the main gatekeeping mechanism for the whole theater community. But I love that we're getting these really diverse casts on touring productions because the touring productions are what more people see. This goes around Mm -hmm. the whole country. This is the thing that's going to like change people's lives that are not able to go to Broadway. So I'm so happy about these casts. I am too. So this is a really big week for Broadway, speaking of we were complaining a little bit, but this is a really big (laughs) week for Broadway. We have four openings this week. I can't remember the last time we had four openings in one week in October. But Is This a Room opens on the 11th. Thoughts of a Colored Man opens on the 13th, which got moved up a couple weeks. The Lehman Trilogy opens on the 14th. And Dana H. opens up on the 17th. I have six shows this week. I'm tired already, but I'm so excited. Ayana, are you ready for what's such a busy October?
1: I am so not ready. (laughs) I'm like, uh, tonight, actually, because we record on Mondays, but tonight is the opening of Is This a Room? And literally, like, so overwhelming that October is like this. Have we ever had an October with so many openings?
2: No. I mean, Ayana, you were at an opening night last night. You're at another one tonight. <laughs> this is a lot. I feel like we're in like April, May pre-Tony season for like how full my calendar is seeing shows. Like I did not plan for this for October. I didn't, I didn't book enough time for my own self to get all my work done because I'm seeing six shows a week now. But I'm excited. We got a lot of great theater.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is really a full circle moment because I I remember during the pandemic us specifically tweeting like we need theater, we want to be back in person and it's like, okay, theater's back. Here are 10 shows you have to go to in the matter of 2 weeks and it's like, okay, maybe not slow down. Um but I'm so grateful that theater is coming back, live theater because we've always had like digital theater and great productions digitally but this is like the community is back you sit down and you're talking to a stranger next to you who loves the art form just as much as you and it's just like so important and you know bring it on bring it on let's the five show days Let's. i also feel like
2: it's specifically like a a weird october quirk of this season ramping up because there's actually not a ton of openings in november and december Mm -hmm. I don't think there's really any currently scheduled that I know of in January so it's kind of just like we're getting a whole huge burst here in October Mm -hmm. but like you said I'm grateful I'm excited I'm into it
1: and also like it's not just openings but it's also reopening so that makes it feel a lot more packed (laughs) than normal
2: it is I I live in Hell's Kitchen and like in like this course of a couple days my neighborhood went from like quiet to like lines around the block for every single show again. And it's like a very different world now, but it makes me really happy. And slightly less happy news, this is a little sad, but Lackawanna Blues had to cancel its opening night performance because of Ruben Santiago's back injury that he's been struggling with and has been had to cancel some performances. And they also are not going to be doing any performances October 8th through October 10th, trying to give him some more time to recover. I feel really bad. He worked so hard in that show and it's like, literally all on his shoulders and his shoulders and back are hurt. So I hope he has time to recover. I hope the show gets to open in a regular way and it gets to do its run.
1: Mm -hmm. Same here. Um, Because of the reviews, like I really want to see the show and I have yet to see it because of um, his injury. So I really hope, you know, I, I hate when people say speedy recovery because it's like, hurry up, but it's like, take the time that you need to recover safely and to get back to, you know, be able to do your regular daily activities
2: yeah i don't i don't want them to rush this i'm afraid that like because there's so much pressure for him to be performing in this one-man show that like maybe he went on when he was still not feeling great to get a couple Mm -hmm. press previews in and try to do opening but like no take your time you will have audiences that are so enthusiastic and so ready for you when you're ready like it's it's okay Mm mtc owns that theater they're gonna make it work you know like Mm
1: -hmm. they (laughs) will make it work (laughs) Yeah. And as we mentioned before, Tina Satter, Is This a Room?, um, will hold its opening night tonight. And the play stars Emily Davis as a former Air Force Intelligence Specialist reality winner during her FBI investigation. Reviews have not come out yet. So we will be recording what the critics are saying in our next episode. However, Chicken and Biscuits opened on Sunday. Such a great night. I mean, that party was phenomenal. That's also why I'm kind of like dragging today. Um, but the reviews are in. Christian, can you read some of what the reviewer said?
2: I can. So uh, first and foremost, shameless plug, I Honest Review and Variety is the review of this show. It's such a great review. And it's also like a review that I want to read and that I love reading. To give you some little space here, <laughs> you said, quote, the cast is dynamic together, making it nearly impossible to single out any one of them. Mizell, however, does an extraordinary job at the going-on 16-year-old Latrice Franklin, a character that could easily be portrayed as a Black female caricature. She's loud, she's bold, and she says whatever's on her mind. Mizell's performance gives nuance to the young Black woman screaming to be seen, included, and understood. Chris Jones for the Daily News said that it was, quote, "...a fun night out, reminding us of the importance of familial love, tolerance, and forgiveness." helen shaw theater critic that i really love for vulture vulture said quote it's a meal full of comfort dishes difficulties resolved and love requited
1: i mean i love a lot of the reviews um especially the reviews from black critics who have you know had personal experiences off stage with this show um And have had lived experiences with the black church. So very, very excited to see their um, their words included. And you saw Chicken and Biscuits. You were sitting directly behind me and we looked at each other at so many moments that I want to hear what you have to say about. The
2: show. We we did. We had such a fun time. Anna and I did not plan that. We don't get to take our seats and we don't always coordinate our dates. So it was just really great that it worked out that I was right behind her. For anyone who doesn't know, Chicken and Biscuits tells the story of a black family coming together for a funeral. And one of the characters is gay and brings his white Jewish gay boyfriend. And Michael Yuri plays that character. And that character in itself is like slightly a bit of a over-the-top caricature, but he's hilarious. And the whole point is that he's an outsider and that he's ridiculous and he doesn't know how any of this works. And I thought it was a really clever device to make the show still feel like relatable to the like rich white old audiences that go to theater because they got to see themselves on stage. But also they were the butt of the joke. And I loved Michael Leary's character and I felt like seen by that, that like me as a, a white critic, seeing this show and especially seeing this with my friend Diana right in front of me. Like I was Michael Leary being <laughs> the outsider, able to enjoy what was happening, even though like I don't have that black church experience, but like I got to enjoy it and I got to see you enjoy it. And like, yeah. I love that so much. And I didn't end up writing a review of it, but I love that the reviews that there are. I love the black reviews that there are. We have yours in Variety We have uh, Toussaint for Did They Like It? Brittany for Three Views. I wish we had more of that. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of white critics really missed the point here. And a lot of it was that they missed the point because they don't have that relatable Black experience, Black church Mm -hmm. experience, Black family experience. They, like, didn't get it. Totally missed the mark. (laughs) We're comparing it to Tyler Perry because they have nothing else to compare it to. Compare it to. There was someone that made a great point. uh, It was... uh, Deep Trans Review of Doug Lyons said that like a lot of white audience members only like black art when they're suffering. And that's not what this was. This was a really great black, black family comedy that had some drama in it, but it was also just hilarious and joyful, like you said, and Mm -hmm. we need space for that on Broadway. How many Mm -hmm. mediocre white family shows have I seen? I could,
1: but I could also totally write a thousand words on our interaction together at that show. Cause I, like I brought my mom, I usually bring my mother to shows that I'm going to review. Cause I like to hear her ideas as well as the show. Sometimes I battle with her on like, I love this and she'll like completely hate it. Um, but this was both of our lived experience because we grew up in the black church, but like turning around to you at certain moments, I was like, I could totally write about my interaction with you because I feel like you got it and I loved that you also got it Um, and literally the best day.
2: I'm also from Connecticut and I saw it with my boyfriend who's Jewish and he's even had moments coming to my non-Jewish family being like, I don't know what's going on here. (laughs) So it was just, there was layers. I really want there to be more like critical dialogues between two critics as reviews and I would have loved to write something with you about our experience because Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the show was about, like insider, outsider, and not understanding someone's mm-hmm. culture and a family having really strong culture. And I think that there was tension about that and how it was reviewed. And I would love to hear more discourse, more pieces about how that worked.
1: Mm-hmm. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with
0: Victoria Cash. even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BDW. void, prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: On that note, let's get into some theater socials. So, we were just talking about criticism and I think that after the Chicken and Biscuits reviews came out, there was a lot of discourse in theater Twitter about who should be critiquing shows specifically about shows that the critic doesn't have that experience. So like, you know, I wrote about Chicken and Biscuits because I I felt the need to talk about the Black Church and how I literally while I'm not an active churchgoer now, I grew up in the black church. Like my grandmother every Sunday took me to church. And it was like, Norm Lewis as a pastor was great because I was just like, That's how my pastor preached. He was very sing-song. Like the first lady, I, I think one of the reviewers said it looked like her feet hurt, but the first lady has a special walk when they walk into the church. So it's not like her feet hurt. It's actually something that the first lady does. It's iconic to the church. And that's how you know the first lady is walking in down the aisle. So there are like a lot of things that... You can't compare it to because you don't have that experience. And so you're saying like her feet hurt, but actually it's iconic to the church.
2: Yeah, I absolutely think this was just like a really egregious and telling example of like what happens when you have a lack of diversity in the core of critics, because the type of criticism and the type of show that they promote. Mm -hmm. I absolutely we need more critics, period, Uh, not less. They just need to get paid and we need more Mm -hmm. diverse critics. I really am excited. I'm part of Did They Like It? Uh, which is a critic cohort of five people, and we're queer. A lot of everyone, but me is not everyone, but me is a person of color. I'm, I'm giving there some trans non-binary gender diversity. I think we're, I think that's something that's really helpful. Three Views is another group mm-hmm. that's like trying to give a more diverse model for theater criticism. And yeah, I think we need to shake things up. I think we need to probably change who a lot of our critics are, and we need to give space for people and outlets to let people review who have those lived experience. But this is also to say, it is not okay to just like ship in a token black critic for every black play and then never let them write anything else. Like that is not what we are advocating for here. We should just have more critics of color, more trans critics, more disabled critics. Like we need, and we need to let them review a lot of things, not just the, like the one thing.
1: I am so happy you said that. I am so happy you said that because in my criticism journey, I have found that, uh, first of all, shout out to Gordon, um, my editor at Variety. I literally, he's the first editor to um, open doors for me to write about whatever I want to write about. Um, Because in my criticism journey, I've found editors who say, hey, can you review this Black show? I mean, they don't say Black show, but it's like It's this black show and never offer me anything else. Gordon has been the first editor to say, you choose what you want and I will go with it. Um, And so I'm so happy that he did that because (laughs) it's very obvious and very telling. And I don't know if it happens with you, if there's like a trans non-binary character. Hey, Christian go review this show. While that's great, you have your lived experience that you can connect it to. It's like, but you can do so much more. You're a fantastic theater
2: critic. It would, but that would require that we actually have uh, shows about or buy trains and non-binary people on Broadway, which we don't. So I don't even get to be a a token in that sense. Uh, Another (laughs) thing, I don't think it's asking that much for white critics to actually like recognize their whiteness and their privilege and their lived reality when writing a review. If I was going to review Chicken and Biscuits, I was going to review it saying, like, me reviewing this show is like Michael Urie's character going to this funeral. Like, I'm admitting that I'm writing about something that I don't know about and that Mm -hmm. I can only give you my, like, comedic, kind of clueless, but loving and empathetic experience of this Black church experience, like not a single white critic could have just literally admitted in their review, like, Hey, I'm white and I don't know what's happening here, but I can appreciate this art. I can try anyway. Like, why is that so much to ask?
1: I don't know. And I really thought that walls were being broken down um, for theater criticism and who the critics are. And I feel like after chicken and biscuits, just like, wow, they really haven't been and so like i need while there are so many great smaller publications you know a lot of people who read criticism only look to a certain number of publications which we have been trying to dispel like there are a lot of great smaller publications that need to be amplified um so we need people like the new york times variety vulture The New Yorker, all of the, you know, bigger platforms, timeout that have criticism need to make sure that they're being inclusive, even if they're bringing on a freelance writer. Like it's, it's something you don't have to stay in house
2: at all. Yeah. And this also goes uh, on the other side, not only what people reviews you're choosing to read, think about what reviews you're choosing to share and publicity and producers Think about what reviews you're choosing to promote and use for quotes.
1: Nobody can see my reaction, and I wish that they could, because Christian, this is where you, in the Black church, this is where you pass the collection plate, because the person has said something so (laughs) smart, and you're like, this is where the money needs to go. Yes, yes, and yes. Totally, marketing teams on Broadway shows need to make sure that they're looking to not just the New York times and not just like uh, the New Yorker, but to a vast majority of criticism. And I mean, think
2: about who you're quoting, not what you're quoting. Like, mm-hmm. don't think I'm quoting the New Yorker. Think I want to quote Vincent Cum- Cunningham's piece. Like, don't think I want to quote Vulture. It's I want to quote what Helen Shaw said. Cause she's really smart. Like also like, yeah, put the people's names because that's put, what this is about. Put the critics put names. The you're name. quoting. Someone wrote this, they matter more than their outlet matters.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I I overheard that, you know, some of them are taking my quotes. Please say Ayana at Variety. Variety didn't write it. Okay, let's get into a bit of fan Q&A. On socials, um, there were a number of people who brought up this question about right after the Tony Awards happened. And I thought it would be so interesting for us to talk about it. Tony Award categories that we feel should be included.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm all about this. So there, I have like a whole list of these, but there are some Ooh. that used to exist that don't currently exist. And there are some mm-hmm. that other awards bodies like the Art of Critics Circle Award and the Drama Desk do that I think Tony should be doing. Mm-hmm. So I think we should have like Best Music Director or Best Conductor. That was a Tony mm-hmm. at some point. But then some like Off-Broadway awards that I love are Best Solo Performance, Best Unique Theatrical Experience. For design, we don't have a puppet or projection design Tony Award that I really think we should have.
1: Ooh, King Kong would totally get that. I mean, that puppet was off the chain. My thing would be, I know this would be so hard because this would include a number of tickets, like countless tickets, but best replacement. Because I I feel like there are some replacements that are, sometimes better than the opening, uh, cast. And it's like, they don't get to be, you know, looked at it in the same way. And I think that it's such a very overlooked category, but I understand why it doesn't happen. It would just be like too many was tickets.
2: So logistically difficult, but it would it be would worth be it. So
1: difficult and so expensive. So I know why why that happens, but that's literally the only category. Oh, and dramaturg, I,
2: yes, Beth, dramaturg. I'm cheering over here. Yeah, I,
1: I actually think that's a category that deserves a Tony. That would be so, swap. so, so,
2: so, so hard to judge, though, which is really hard because it's mm-hmm. hard to judge the role, but of you a would, dramaturg.
1: L- uh, yeah, uh, see, the Tony voters would need to read scripts.
2: Maybe if that became a thing, they like a dramaturg could also release a dramaturgy packet to the people who were voting on that award. Mm-hmm. Also, I love that if they had that award, it would encourage every show to have a dramaturg, which currently barely any shows have dramaturgs, and every show wants more Tonys, so that might help.
0: Mm-hmm. The other
2: Tony that I like really want, speaking of, we were just uh, talking about our, our sixth purple carpet, is we would need a Tony for best ensemble. Because yes. sometimes you have shows that are about small ensembles, that are not about, like, this is a star vehicle for blending. Sometimes you don't even have a distinction between, like, a lead role and a supporting role, but they're all stars. Like, I love that six cast so much. I think just because the nature of that show, they'd all probably only be eligible for supporting, and probably none of them will get nominated because it would be weird to then not nominate all of them. I don't know. But I think that show wholly deserves a, like, best ensemble. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: I... 100% 100% agree. So, Tony nominators, Tony voters, if you're listening, try to bring this up with the Broadway League. Some of these categories are really important and should be taken into consideration. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of What's Up Broadway. You can learn more about What's Up Broadway at bpn.fm wub and connect with us on Twitter at #bwaypodnetwork. Send us a hot tip and please make sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave us a rating and tune in next week for another episode of What's Up Broadway.